This is the Business of Apps podcast, bringing you actionable insights from the leaders of the global app industry and the world's fastest growing apps. You can find more app news, data and analysis over at businessofapps.com. Welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. On this show, we invite app industry professionals to cover various topics. We promise to do our best to keep it both insightful but brief. In this episode, we have Justin Welter, VP of Brand Performance and Business Development at, at Colony. Justin, welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. Thank you for having me. Terrific. Thank you for coming. So, since 2004, every June, software developers around the world eagerly wait for Apple to release what it has in store for them. And for the last 12 years, it's been about iOS updates. And right, iPadOS, watchOS, and tvOS came later as well. A whole week is fully packed with multiple sessions from Apple's engineers to deliver updates to train them on what's going to be the next update for the iOS, tvOS, and cetera the coming fall. On top of this, lots and lots of technical updates, there are marketing applications. So today, Justin will help us to unpack them all. But first, to start things off, please tell us about yourself, Justin. What is your path in growth marketing? Yeah, so I guess I'll, I'll kind of start with a short introduction of myself and what I'm doing at Ad Colony. So like you said, my name is Justin Welter. I am the VP of Brand Performance and Business Development at Ad Colony. Ad Colony is a leading in-app video ad network. So we help publishers monetize their content through video ads. My kind of introduction and kind of entry into the market was really, you know, I grew up in Oklahoma, went to school at Oklahoma State. And in 2006, I did a project for Google and then was offered a job and moved out from Oklahoma to sunny Mountain View, California. And so at that point in time, Google was still a relatively small company. It was 3,000 people. And so my role was kind of uh, to help manage the global relationships with some of Google's largest advertisers. And so from there, I just kind of got introduced to really growth marketing from the AdWords started a point of view, if you will. And so helping them to kind of you know, understand the Google suite of products and all that stuff. And subsequently left and joined Facebook, kind of where I kind of managed the global relationship between Facebook and Uber and Facebook and Lyft. And that was really the opportunity of when I really kind of started to kind of go deep into the mobile side of things. And so that's where I kind of learned about CPI campaigns, in-app advertising, all those different things, and as kind of user acquisition channels. And so and that's ultimately led me to where I am now, which is at Ad Colony, as I said. And so my kind of journey has been kind of unique, I think, in certain regards, because I've seen kind of the big, you know, aspect of things from a big company standpoint, and then also seen kind of the kind of more startup aspect of things. And so it's been a great journey. That's great. So you can see the, the, the whole picture of like the mobile advertising for both sides, for small folks and big companies. And it's... I think it's helpful for you to, in your current position, right? Yeah, entirely. I mean, it helped us, obviously, like the experience of working with two of those huge platforms to understand how they service app developers or, you know, just advertisers in general has been a unique experience that's allowed me to kind of, that I've constantly leverage in my current role at AdPony. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I'm very grateful for that, for that experience. I, I never imagined myself in growth marketing until I moved out here to California, but I love it because it's such a exciting, obviously for reasons like this, right, that we're discussing today, exciting market, huge market. And ultimately it's a, you know, something that's useful people. It's something concrete. People understand, you know, people, everybody knows apps, right? And everybody has right. them. And so when you speak to people, 
there's a, it resonates with them because they understand, you know, you can talk about what you're doing and people can say, Oh, I understand that. And so it's always useful. Gotcha. All right. Uh, now, first of all, talking about the WWDC this year, what was your first like overall impression of the event? What do you think when you were watching the whole event, like 90 minutes or 60 minutes? Yeah, I think it was like an hour and a half, right? So yeah, at first, to be totally honest, my first impression was, wow. You know, I kind of look at, you know, my history, WWDC is, is that, you know, it's an in-person event, right? And you're there and there's so many people and there's so much networking. And over the right. past few years, it's been online and it's been really kind of like, I've just been personally amazed of how they've kind of what they've done with production level things and how that's looked and how they've been able to kind of really bring developers into the fold, given that it's, you know, everybody's doing it from home or remotely. And so I think that, right. that that was my first, my first impression. And so how they've kind of made that unique and still fun and exciting and, you know, all the things that they put into it is, is I think really cool. So that's, that's first what I've thought, you know, but I think from a kind of a, a developer standpoint, so if we take a step back and kind of look at it from kind of an industry standpoint or from a developer, as I said, then I think the biggest things I notice are is that if you look at, let's say last year's WWDC versus this year's, last year was really developer focused. There was huge announcements around SK ad network and app tracking, all those different things, you know, right. And this year was, I felt a lot more kind of consumer focused, right? Apple launched a VPN, they did email tracking. And so I think that, you know, a lot of the things that we see this year are kind of, there was huge developments last year. I think people, the, the industry is really kind of trying to grasp and understand those changes still. And That's I think fair. this year is kind of like, well, we've, we did a lot for the, we kind of laid a lot out for the developers. We made a lot of changes mm -hmm. for them last year. Let's kind of give them a little bit of a break. Let's focus more on consumers, things that people can understand, you know? And so I think it was kind of different in that regard. Right. Yeah. I, that was my feeling this year too, because they introduced these features that allow people to basically break apart their day between, okay, this part them. I should be focusing on my work. This is my leisure time. And your device should be able to mimic these parts of your day and uh, kind of uh, work in uh, synchrony with what you're doing in the morning, in the daytime, in the evening, which is obviously consumer-focused features. And actually, in my, in my estimate, really welcomed, because this is what I've been waiting for Apple to do with so many you know, notifications, with so many apps, kind of finding the balance between the the how much you're getting from the device and how what big chunk of time this device is actually requiring from you on a daily yeah. basis. Now, from the whole list of updates announced by Apple's team, what updates will directly impact iOS developers' uh, business? Let's just walk through them all because I, I remember there were several. Yeah, there was a lot. The ones that come top of mind for me, specifically from a developer standpoint, is I think first and foremost, the APIs that they announced are going to be very useful for developers. Historically, developers have had to spend a lot of time to kind of make their own tools and, and whatnot in order to kind mm -hmm. of do certain things within within their app. And so now Apple is basically coming to the table and saying, hey, look, here's here's APIs that are pre-built to allow for you to kind of do these certain functionalities. And I think that's going to be big. It's going to save developers a lot of time. I think it's going to be a lot easier. You know, and there's other things like Obviously, every single year, ARKit becomes more and more kind of better and there's more functionality there. And so obviously, I think that there's, 
I'm excited to see what happens for developers and, and kind of leveraging that new technology in, in those developments. There's other things I think are really interesting too. Like I thought that the simple things, like it feels like Apple had a big kind of emphasis on the communication aspect of things. And so what I mean by that is, you know, they made kind of modifications to FaceTime, some of the sharing aspect of things. I forget what they called it specifically, but where you can share your screen and do like screen sharing in app, or you could kind of, you know, watch movies together. Like I think that they launched a kind of the opportunity to kind of watch Netflix together with other friends, which I think is really cool. And I think that is, I think a lot of that is a result of the pandemic, frankly. I think that yep. they've kind of realized that, you know, people want to have those experiences together when they're not physically present, right? And so I think that those functionalities will be very useful for developers as well. So, you know, as a whole, I think those are the things that come top of mind for me as like things that will bear fruit down the line for developers and things that they can focus on and, and will be useful for them. Yeah, definitely. And this may be testing uh, features, uh, set of features that people kind of have been asking for years, guys, that they're building features to A-B tests, Android apps. What about Apple side? Come on, you can do that. And finally, here we go. 2021. You've got it. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was really surprised by that myself. I was like, man, this is like, I can't believe they're finally doing this. You know, it's it was here. really surprising to me that that was like, okay, that's that's super simple. I don't know why they haven't done that before. But obviously, I mean, for growth marketers, that's really important. You know, you want to be able to kind of your page on the app store is for a lot of people, the door front of their business. And so yep. uh, the ability to kind of have greater control over that and optimize that a little bit further, I think is really important. So. Right, exactly. So now, did you expect something specific that Apple will release, but they didn't? Was there any one thing that you were kind of waiting for, but they haven't delivered it? Yeah, I mean, there, there's certain things that I was kind of surprised by. Kind of going back to what I was saying earlier, I think there was a lot of developments last year around kind of SK Ad Network and ATT tracking. And I am kind of surprised, you know, they've had kind of a willingness to kind of make updates and provide some additional insights around those changes throughout 2020 and really the first half of this year. I personally was really expecting them to unveil more information around that. Frankly, it didn't seem like they really talked about it at all. And so I was kind of surprised by that. If you think about it, that is a huge, it's a huge item for app developers. A lot of people have kind of built their businesses around kind of these metrics that we've had within the industry for years. And now those are going away. And so I'm kind of surprised that there wasn't really a lot of, you know, discussion about that or any updates. So, I mean, hopefully I think in the future we'll get some more insights in there. You know, I think there's definitely more time for this year and, you know, Maybe there'll be additional announcements, but you know, maybe it just wasn't the right time for, for those to be made at this point. Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, they haven't mentioned it at all uh, through the whole keynote, but I was wondering what about the sessions that they will be delivering throughout the week, you know, specifically for developers. So to the best of your knowledge, have they delivered, have it said anything during those sessions? I mean, throughout the whole week, because there were so many. Nope. Yeah, there's a lot of them. I don't know. I didn't really attend all of them, right? I think it's, also, it's, it's obviously difficult to. There might have been. Obviously, I right. can say that from my standpoint, you know, here at Ad Colony, we follow that very, very closely. And we have, uh, you know, obviously our ears to the ground with regards to any announcements that Apple makes around SK Ad Network and ATT. So I think that there wasn't really any specific, like, huge announcements or developments there. And so I think we're still waiting to kind of hear more information. So. Got you. Well, Apple and Google do hopefully you 
in the mobile space is pretty famous. So do you think with these recent updates, Apple has given enough reasons for developers to be focused on the iOS development to kind of stay in the family I and not look on the Android side? Yeah, I certainly think that there is enough reasons for people wanting to develop on iOS, right? I mean, like my favorite part of WWDC most recently was at the very end when they, I think Mm -hmm. they do this every year, but they announced what the earnings were for what they pay out to developers. And I think they said it was basically a quarter trillion dollars. So well over $200 billion, which to me is just mind boggling. And so with that said, I think that there's enough reasons for, for developers to want to build on iOS. But I'd also say that there's times maybe they focus more on Android versus, versus Apple. I think it's kind of give and take. You might have a situation where a developer is, you know, maybe has a more international presence for their app. And then therefore they want to focus more on Android, you know, or, you know, how an, a publisher kind of monetizes their, their content is also going to be maybe a function of where and how they kind of focus their time. So for instance, I think Apple does... I think it's safe to say that worldwide, Apple does a better job of driving revenue through in-app purchases, right? And then I think, you know, maybe Android might be a better choice for advertising monetization. And so I think it kind of depends on what your strategy is there as a developer. But I would say that it's, it's safe to say that developers have, you know, they don't have a reason to put all their eggs in one basket and that it's, it's very much makes sense to develop on both platforms going forward. Right. The main reason uh, is still there. The money is on the iOS side and the scale is on the Android side. Like, yeah. I don't remember somebody uh, was uh, comparing uh, like uh, different parts of the, the overall economy in terms of iOS versus Android. So <laughs> kind of a two mindsets, many things can be put into these two baskets. You can either pay more, pay premium, but uh, you know for sure that these apps, the whole ecosystem is pretty much uh, you know, mobile for free. The whole, both hardware and software has been really well uh, kept and you don't worry about, you know, your phone is sitting in your pockets, it's not gonna be stealing your money or, you know, uh, running ads uh, in the background. And then the Android, Android side, you're more or less, you don't pay anything. You're good with, you know, having a product of lots of ads on your device, but this is not important for you. Like. The major reason why you're on the Android side is because you're not paying pretty much anything or way less for the hardware. So yeah, this is kind of a duopoly which can be applied to many kind of mindsets in the other parts of the economy. Now, it's been less than two months since Apple released iOS 14.5, which we just mentioned briefly. And it brought up ATT. I always want to say at and I don't know why. <laughs> ATT, Privacy Protection Framework. So what impact do you see it's been having on the iOS developers? I think it's still relatively early. Like you said, it's only been about two months. But with that said, I think there's been a slow ramp up of opt-in rates and it's looking relatively good. I think it's better than what you know people expected, to be honest. I think that while that's still primarily the case, it's going to take some time for publishers to kind of figure out best practices around opt-in and take more time for everybody to kind of get used to SK Ad Network, how it reports back, Postbacks and how to optimize around that. You know, I think we're kind of surprised or we're happy with, rather would be a better way to say it, the opt-in rates and how you know users are responding to the notifications. And like I said, I think different publishers have different solutions about how they're addressing that. And I don't think that there is really any, frankly, any kind of like 
answer, hard concrete answer is what is the best practice that's still being developed. And so I think it's going to be a long-term challenge for everybody, to be frank. I think that there's still a lot of learning mm-hmm. to be done and, and it's going to take some time. Now, with that said, you know, from a monetization standpoint, if I'm a publisher, what do I do? You know, I'd say that really what's happening is there's this shift now that's occurring to what we call in the industry advanced bidding. So like a programmatic style bidding for monetization. Um, so if you have ads, you know, and you want to monetize them, traditionally what's happened before all of this has been that, you know, you've had a waterfall and you've kind of inserted different ad networks into that waterfall and you kind of optimize them. Mm-hmm. Maybe you come in on like Monday, you look at what the ECPMs are and then you kind of shift that waterfall around depending upon performance. And now what's happening is that basically everything's going programmatic, which is great because, you know, allows for, frankly, for publishers to better understand and have more transparency into the value of their content, right? So everybody in programmatic world, everybody competes against each other in real time and ad network that is, you know, has the best performance is going to be the one that shows. And so I think that, you know, if, if you're a publisher now in this, this new world of SK ad network and ATT, then I think that this is really a best practice because it turns your kind of monetization strategy from less of an art to more of a science and, you know, working with publishers and rather working with partners like ad colony and fiber that have a really strong programmatic presence, I think is really important Mm -hmm. for publishers in order to, you know, boost ECPMs, especially when, you know, you don't have the traditional kind of identifiers and markers that you've had in the past in order to help monetize content. So you're saying that the, our marketing that people were waiting for isn't happening. People are not rejecting, you know, to opt in in bulk. So there are the, the percentage of people who are saying no for tracking is not that high, like everybody were afraid of, right? Yeah, I think that what we're seeing is, is not as, I think that there was kind of like a viewpoint that this was going to be Armageddon from a lot of people. And you heard, for instance, Facebook, you know, made big yeah. pushes about oh, this yeah. and, you know, and really tried to fight it. And so I think there was this fear that this was going to be something that was going to be, that was basically going to destroy, you know, a publisher's ability to adequately monetize their content via advertising. What we're finding is is that users understand that there's a value exchange that occurs. They understand that if they download an app for free, that they really have two choices. They can either pay for it or they can kind of opt into to advertising in certain regards. And so I think they're becoming Absolutely. more welcomed to that value exchange and understanding it. And I think the publisher's challenge now is how do I adequately communicate that value exchange? How do I adequately communicate that, you know, for me to provide you this, this app for free, you know, we're going to have to put ads in there. And that's what I think the kind of uh, the notifications around ATT are around and about. And it kind of is saying, you know, how do I communicate what the value is from my app and why it's important and why I have to have advertising into it? How do I do that in a way that doesn't scare off the user? But then, and how do I kind of optimize that flow between the actual communication within the app, where that is, when it occurs, and then, you know, the user actually agreeing, you know, clicking enable in this case. And what's also difficult about this is you really only get, I think, one chance to do this. And so it's kind of like mm-hmm. hit or miss, you know? And so if you don't, if a publisher doesn't do it correctly, then they lose that opportunity to kind of re-message, if you will, users down the road as it is. And so, so yeah, I think that we're just, we're just seeing in general, kind of go back to your question, we're seeing in general that users are more comfortable with this than I think most people thought. And I think that that's great to hear. And frankly, that's what Ad Colony was really kind of founded on. We were founded on in-app rewarded video where, you know, a user will opt into a video experience in order to uh, kind of establish a value exchange between 
you know, continuing to play the ad or continuing mm-hmm. to play the app and then watching an ad. And so that's kind of, I think that that value exchange aspect of things is important, especially in advertising. That's marketing one-on-one. How good do you know your customer and how can well you approach and uh, make the case, like what's the benefit? Why do you display that ad to him or her and what he or she's getting in return? Okay, let's take a sneak peek into the crystal ball if we have one. Well, what do you see? Probably not a crystal, probably some other um, <laughs> material. <laughs> silicon ball. Um, yeah, silicon, exactly. <laughs> silicon ball. What do you see coming in the app industry within the next couple of years? It's hard to say. I'm not a profit. I wish I was. Make my life a lot easier. But kind of taking a step back, I think that we saw in kind of the history of this, this ecosystem and in technology, like every 10 to 15 years, there's a watershed event that changes everything. I would say most recently has been two things. You've seen like the iPhone, obviously, and then you have like blockchain technology. That's Those have been the big things. But I think that, you know, for me, what I'm most excited about or what I think is going to be huge is, and I don't think this is going to surprise people, but wearables, I think it's going to be really interesting. If I look at it, you know, you look at the, the iPhone when it was first announced, there was huge adoption rates. Everybody was just, you know, going out to grab it. I remember like when my first on iPhone, one of my friends, it was like, wow, it's amazing. You literally have the internet in your pocket, you know, and everybody just jumped onto it. And I look at something like the Apple watch that I absolutely love, but I don't feel that there is, it's not like the must have device. Like there are a lot of people Mm -hmm. that are diehard Apple fans who have everything Apple, but they don't have an Apple watch, maybe have a Fitbit or something like that. It doesn't feel like it is the diehard, you know, you need to have type of device. And so I, I look forward to seeing something. I don't know what that's going to be, but I look forward to seeing something that is a wearable hardware device that is kind of, you know, changes the game. And I think the other aspect of things that's important to understand is that, or important to say is that, you know, if you look at from a developer standpoint, Apple Watch is great. Like I love it as a user, but I don't feel that there's a lot that's been developed there that has really changed things. Exactly. And so I feel that there's going to be something that will totally create you know, a whole ecosystem for developers around wearables. And I think that that's what I get excited about. Yeah, I would, I would pay a lot to see what's kind of, what's going on in the Apple's lab, what's coming in terms of yeah. wearable device, what kind of hardware the next generation, probably not the next generation, but a few generations down, down the line, Apple Watch will get what kind of sensors to give a nice big kick to the, the development. Like hardware has always been kind of a, uh, like uh, the driver for the software. Yeah. Oh, you know, maybe right. it's these glasses. We don't know, you know, but I think there'll be something. Yeah, it could be. Could be. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's not like uh, if Google tried once and they load away, it means that it's done. No, it was just a really, not really good try. Yeah. You know, it happens. We'll see what Apple will, will be able to pull off with the Google Glass, with the Apple Glass. All right. We've covered the major topic on the table, and as always at this point of the show, I have just a few quick questions uh, kind of for the benefit of the audience so they know you a little bit better. So here we go. What smartphone do you have? I know it's an iPhone. And so have you been going back and forth between iOS and Android or iOS all the time? I've been iOS all the time. I mean, when I worked at Google, I obviously used Android and, and was kind of in the Android ecosystem. But I've since moved on over to iOS. I think that just, 
I love the phone. I love the camera. I love the apps. I love everything that's around it. And so I've been pretty consistent in the Apple ecosystem ever since. All right. Let's jump back before the iPhone era. What was your first mobile phone? That honestly is, I don't even know if I can remember the very first (laughs) because it was so long ago. And I think there was like at the time, it was probably one of those like small kind of dumb smartphones or dumb, you know, mobile phones where you couldn't do anything other than call and text. The first mobile phone though that I remember that I was like a fan of was the Motorola Razr. That was the first one. And I remember two things about that that were important, right? One is the games. I remember playing Snake all the time on my phone late at night, right? That was one thing. And then the other thing was, I think it had, if I remember correctly, it was like the first phone, at least that I had, where texting, it had some type of like shortcuts for texting where it was kind of almost like SwiftKey, right? Uh, Kind of a a dumb Mm -hmm. version of SwiftKey where you could save certain words. And so you can kind of like text a lot easier. And so I just remember little nuanced things like that, that I thought at the time were like the apex of humanity, right? And, you know, how far we've gone from there. Yeah, that's for sure. All right, back to reality. Imagine you've left your smartphone at home. What would be the most missing feature for you? I would probably say that, you know, most of the stuff on my phone or on our phones now are pretty easily accessible on the cloud, right? So like, I don't Mm -hmm. fear that I would lose anything, but I'd say just if I'm out and about and I don't have my phone, the thing that I've missed the most is just the, trans- the transportation utilities and apps that are around, right? So maps, I definitely, I need to get that. I use it every single day, just even walking from one place to the other in San Francisco and trying to know where certain stores are or what buses to take and all those things. And obviously also, uh, you know, I have a car. So Uber is like very important to me and Uber and Lyft. And so the ability to kind of get from one place to the other to go see friends. So I think that that would be the thing that I would feel that would concretely feel right. If I didn't have my phone with me, because things Mm -hmm. like, you know, I, I can miss, you know, not taking a photo or, you know, I wouldn't mind probably not getting Mm -hmm. a phone call for a couple of days, but if I was stuck in the middle of San Francisco without anywhere to go or getting around, I think sometimes I would, you know, miss that aspect of things because of just the convenience aspect of things. Do you use Google Maps, Apple Maps, Waze, or all of them? I've traditionally used Google Maps, and I've used Waze as well. I mm-hmm. am pretty impressed with what they announced on Apple Maps. It looks really beautiful. And so I think I'm slowly starting to kind of move over to Apple Maps, but I think that right. I've kind of historically always just used Google Maps just out of, out of maybe habit, you know? Yeah, they still have to catch up. That's just a fact. Like, um, yeah. just unavoidable. If you start later with your app, like, what else can happen? It will be kind of uh, catching up. I do agree with you that the recent updates for the Apple Maps makes them make the app even more compelling to me. But yeah, like Google Maps still the king. Yeah. Okay. And just when you look at your iPhone, what kind of new technologies are you waiting for? to be released on the device and probably like, I'm not necessarily asking, are you waiting for tech, both hardware and software to do more or probably less something that will help you to kind of, uh, you know, be in a balance with your device, not taking that much of your time. What do you think? Well, I don't know. It's tough because I do use my phone a lot and I think it'd probably be good for all of us if we kind of put our phones down a little bit. Right. I think that's Mm -hmm. uh, what they've, I think 
there's definitely the idea of being addicted to your mobile phone is, is really real. And I'm excited to see that they're kind of helping us to kind of curtail that in certain regards. You know, I, I definitely think that there's more technology. I mean, like I work in Silicon Valley and I, I have, uh, I'm very optimistic about the future and what we can do and what we'll see, uh, especially from a hardware side of things. And so I do think that there's a lot more technologies, like we said, I mean, wearables is going to be huge. I think that, you know, that will only improve our lives and, and help us, especially on the health side of things. I think that's really interesting. And then there's always this conversation about transportation, apples, trying to do these things around, potentially, we don't know. I don't know if they've really said anything specifically, but, you know, around cars and all those things. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think that there's a lot to be done still. And I think all of it will be great, you know, but I do think we all have kind of that balance between, you know, living in real life versus living in, you know, virtual life, if you will. Right. Balance is everything. Uh, that's, that's for sure. All right. Before I let you go, just very final question. How can people get in touch with you and know more information about what you do? Yeah. So, I mean, anybody can reach out to me on, on LinkedIn. I'm very open about, you know, connecting. And so you can look at my, look me up, Justin Welter at Ad Colony, and then also reach out to us on the Ad Colony website. If you are a app developer and you're looking to kind of monetize your content, feel free to reach out to us. And I'm, I'm happy to you know, get you in contact with the right team here and also just, you know, have a conversation if you'd like as to best practices and, you know, how we potentially help through our network and through our technology. Terrific. Thanks a lot for your time and coming on our podcast, Justin. Thank you. Hey, thank you. And that was Justin Walter, VP of Brand Performance and Business Development at Ad Colony. To listen to more episodes, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, just search for Business of Apps and you will find us easily. We're these episodes on Mondays, so subscribe and you'll be able to get new episodes on your smartphone, tablet, or computer as soon as we release them. And please don't forget to leave us a review and comment on iTunes. It is highly appreciated. And all episodes will also be available on businessofapps.com. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Business of Apps podcast. For more, head on over to businessofapps.com.